Good morning. Well, I'm not David as much as as I uh, was prayed about, but uh, we, it was been announced that we uh, it's going to be a, a two part special this morning. As uh, we're talking about uh, marriage, and, and it was introduced uh, as the title of "She's the One and She's Still the One," uh, with I pre- presenting. Um, some thoughts about looking forward uh, to my marriage and, and David following right after looking uh, back at his. And I certainly do appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk about marriage. It's one of my favorite subjects. Uh, but also to talk about uh, my upcoming uh, marriage, my upcoming wedding. She's the one. It is the, uh, the portion of my section here this morning. Uh, Lord willing, three months and a week. Uh, just about 97 days, actually, to be. I have an app that I downloaded. It counts it down for me. <laughs> 97 days, I will be marrying uh, the one whom I like to say that God chose for me. Uh, Kayla is certainly the one for me. And I thought a lot about what I would be talking about uh, for my portion here and looking forward uh, to the wedding. I was just simply giving the title and and given the opportunity to talk about what I think as far as looking forward to the wedding. And I thought that, and, and after much, much thinking about what I would talk about, I thought I would talk about my emotions. My emotions. And the reason that I want to talk about my emotions is that emotions come as a result of what we believe. Emotions come at the tail end of truths. And so there are three very real emotions that I would like to share with you. Uh, three mer- very real emotions because of three very real beliefs about marriage. And I'll be using Genesis chapter 2 as a jumping off point and discussing these emotions. Uh, first of all, getting right into it and looking toward the wedding and looking forward to the wedding, perhaps the most dominant feeling is, of course, that of overwhelming joy. Marriage comes with a variety of blessings. That is the reason for the joy, because of the blessings. I look forward to the blessing of companionship, sharing life with somebody. But not just a somebody, sharing life with my best friend. Also, I think of the blessing of faithfulness, not just sharing life with my best friend, sharing life with a strong, faithful Christian who will help me be accountable, who will help me in my walk toward heaven and I, her. But I also think about the the, the blessing of understanding God on a deeper level. You see, God is a husband. He he, He is married to his people. God is also a father. He has children. And what that means is, Lord willing, not long from now, I will be walking in that same capacity that God is in. Because God is a father, and I will be a father. God is a husband, and I will be a husband. I will be able to sympathize with God on an even deeper level level than I ever have before. And I look forward to all that, but when I think of joy, overwhelming joy, my mind naturally goes back to the garden. You see Adam there being created and placed there in the garden and then given the job to tend, keep, and maintain and guard the garden. And when you see Adam there without Eve, please understand that it's all preparatory for what's coming next. Eve is coming. And God prepares Adam, much like God prepared the world to receive Christ. How did God prepare the world to receive Christ? By creating in the world a need, a desire. Making the world realize that it needed a someone. 
And what you see here in the garden is God creating things in his way to make Adam realize that he needed a someone. Genesis 2.18, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And what God does next is to provide the solution to the only problem in creation at this point. But think of God as a father here. Now, if we can understand what earthly fathers do with their children, perhaps we can understand the significance of what God does for Adam here. Fathers, when your child has a serious problem, maybe it's something that they're missing in their life. May you see them sad, you see them disappointed. With what resources that you have, I would assume that what you would provide for your child that has a problem, you would provide nothing but the very best answer to what ails them. If you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more can God Provide for his child with a problem. Only God, the Father in heaven, is not limited. He's not limited in resources. He's not limited in wisdom. He's infinite in that regard. And when we consider what God does and what he is capable of giving, and when you consider his giving nature, that what God gives is the very best, then it's significant that what he, what he gives Adam is the very best. Woman is the very best. You see, God makes Adam realize that when he creates everything, and he passes creation before Adam. And Adam realizes, you think of the splendor of creation and all the majesty, and you think of the beauty and the charm of all the animals, and when Adam realizes that it's insignificant, it just won't do. And what God provides next is the greatest solution. There is nothing quite like Eve. Nothing else in existence, nothing else in time can compare to Eve. Eve is literally God's best. God's greatest gift to his son. And the first reaction of Adam, noted in Genesis 2.23, and Adam said this, this is now. This is different. This is unlike anything else in creation. Adam immediately recognizes her value and he immediately begins to become devoted to her. Genesis 2.23, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He immediately begins to understand that she is equal to him. He says she shall be called woman. Why? Because she was taken out of man. She's a part of me. She comes from me. She is me. And, they didn't ha- and Adam didn't have to take her out on a single day for her, for him to realize the value of, of Eve. Maybe this is a good time to interject. You know, women, can we please stop letting the world tell you how valuable you are? Or how to get your value. What makes you have worth. You see, Eve did not have to prove her worth to Adam. He didn't have to take her out on dates. She didn't have to dress a certain way, wear her makeup a certain way. She didn't have to have a certain number on that scale. Adam immediately recognizes her value. Value is not gained. 
Value is recognized. And Adam recognized her value because she came from God. And she is God's best answer for him. No doubt. No doubt there's joy in Adam. Jubilation and devotion in the heart of Adam. When he sees his bride walk down the aisle for the very first time by her heavenly father. And as I look forward to my wedding. Certainly there's going to be joy when I see Caleb being walked down that aisle. Not simply by her earthly father, but by her heavenly father. Because she is God's greatest gift. But then secondly, another emotion. Fear. Fear because of the responsibilities. Genesis 2.24 Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. They shall become one flesh. The King James Version renders it cleave. A man shall cleave, literally be glued to his wife. When Adam receives Eve, what he also received was tremendous responsibility. There's a saying in in Marvel, one of those comic book movies, I don't know where I heard it from exactly, with great power comes great responsibility. I think it was Spider-Man in one of those, those movies, but you should know that the Bible said it first. Luke 12, 48, from whom much is given, from him much will be required. Uh, And because marriage is a tremendous blessing, it comes with an equally tremendous responsibility. There is tremendous responsibility here, and it frightens me. You think of the responsibility of love? Ephesians 5.25, we had it read this morning. Husbands, love your wives. How? Like Adam loved Eve. Except that's not what it says. Reading Genesis 2, it makes us appreciate the great devotion that a man ought to have for his wife. But you you might realize that we're not given the rest of the details. What was life like living with Adam and Eve on a daily basis? How did they get along? Did they argue about who would take out the trash? I don't know. You're just going to ask them when when you get to heaven. But what, what you see in the garden is perfected in Jesus and the church. Ephesians 5.25 again, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It doesn't say love your wife as long as she remains pleasant. As long as she does her duty. As long as she cooks and cleans. As long as she has that cheerful disposition. As long as she looks a certain way. That's not what it says. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. And that scares me because I know how much Christ loved the church. You see him there in the garden, not the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Gethsemane. You see the the Savior there falling down on his knees and, and, and seeing his impending sacrifice and sweating these great drops of blood. And you see him there on Calvary being beaten and mocked and scourged, the crown of thorns being placed on his head. And you see him carrying and bearing that cross. You see him being nailed to the cross and then you see him cry out, Father, forgive them. He makes life not about him, but about his bride. 10,000 angels he could have called. It didn't matter. It wasn't about him. It was about his bride. Jesus was willing to endure. And the Bible says like that. Love your wife. Husbands, love your wife. Andrew, love Kayla like that. 
There's also the responsibility of leadership, Ephesians 5, 22 and 23. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. You know, Paul doesn't leave any room to, for us to be confused here. He doesn't say, husbands, lead if you feel like it. He doesn't say, husbands, if your wife wants to lead, that's okay. He doesn't say, have a co-leadership in the home. That's not what he says. He says the husband is to be the leader of the home. And it's a fact that's settled in heaven. Because he attaches what a husband is to be to a wife, to what Christ is to the church. And to agree with one is to agree with the other. Does Christ lead the church? Who would argue against that? Must the church submit to the Lord? Who would argue against that? But you see, if you agree with that, you are by necessity obligated to agree with what is being compared to. The husband is to lead the home. And so much can be said about good leadership, another sermon, another time perhaps. But there's also the, the responsibility of sympathizing, understanding your wife. What did Christ do to understand his bride? He spent a lifetime in her shoes. Christ took on flesh, and when we read Hebrews 4.15, we're reminded of that. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Christ understood his bride. And when we see verses like 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, where it says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving, them honor to your, uh, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. And you might notice, those verses that, are, that I read are not suggestions. They're commands. And if I don't spend a lifetime understanding Kayla, I can't pray. If I don't love Kayla, if I don't lead her like Christ did his bride, you know, I can decide to quit preaching and still go to heaven. I cannot stop being a good husband without jeopardizing my soul. Joy, absolutely. Fear also because of responsibility. But then also, sadness. Now, it's not a dominant feeling, but it is there. Sadness because of change. Again, Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. In order for there to be a cleaving, there has to be a leaving first. Now, I found a wife, Lord willing, not long from now we will be husband and wife. And the Bible says that's a good thing, Proverbs 18.22. And Lord willing, not long after the wedding, Kayla and I will be moving to Texas to start a work there. And we're both excited about that. But for that family to be created, another family will be having to endure change. And friends, I can't help I can't help but feel a bit saddened about that. Perhaps it's the Christian attribute. It's the Christian character. We, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who, who weep. You see, weddings contain both. 
Weddings contain rejoicing and weeping. As much as you can tell a father, you know, you're not losing a daughter, but you're gaining a son. I would assume that it still feels like you're losing a daughter. And I can't help but feel. I can't help but feel for the Barker family. I can't help but feel for all those who had a hand in raising Kayla. Who watched Kayla to grow up into that beautiful Christian woman. I can't help but feel for Kayla's friends that, in whom she has formed the closest of bonds here. I can't help it. I'm reminded that time does not like to stand still. Little girls don't stay little girls. Little girls grow up to be brides. And I'm reminded that where David stands now, one day I'm going to be standing there. Lord willing, with a quiver of my own arrows. And I pray that I will have the strength to let those arrows go. Joy, absolutely. Fear. A bit of sadness. Maybe this is what men mean when I hear them talk about their weddings and say, I was a mess. Maybe that's what they mean. But I thank God for Kayla. She is certainly my someone. I'm thankful for her family and I'm thankful for this congregation here and helping nurture that soul's upbringing. Kayla is my someone. She is my one. And I pray to the God of heaven that I can be her someone that she so desperately deserves. Thank you. Appreciate those thoughts very, very much. I wish I had had that kind of understanding as I got married. It would be wonderful to be able to start out on such strong uh, footing. We um, talked just a moment here about the other side of this, and that is looking back. And um, all of you could do a much better job at looking back at your own uh, marriages uh, better than I can, but. I want you to tell you this could be easily a tribute to my wife, easily. I'm not going to make it that, but I could easily do that. I could go on and on. It could be a tribute. We could, we could take you down memory lane, just like you can take anyone down memory lane and share with you uh, some wonderful blessings uh, of our marriage. But it could be a tribute to Kelly, but she never has liked that at all, and I know that she'd be very uncomfortable with that. I will say this, though, you know, uh, at our wedding, um, at the reception, there was chocolate cake. And she had put a little uh, Bible on top of the chocolate cake uh, for me. And, um, you know, you've always heard that phrase, um, when something is easy, it's just a piece of cake. Well, Kelly has made it just chocolate cake for us because uh, we have had an incredible, incredible journey and uh, still, still doing it. But she's made it very, very easy. Easy. When we think about a strong marriage, what keeps it strong? You can combine your own experiences, uh, but also, most importantly, you have God's Word. And I appreciate Andrew. 
uh, focusing on God's Word, and we want to do that for just a moment as we reflect on what has been and why we still want to be strong. I want you to think with me for just a minute about faithful sacrifice. Faithful sacrifice. It all begins with God. It all begins with God. Our home has got to be established upon God and His Word. Faithful sacrifice is a willingness, of course, to follow God and put Him absolutely first. Absolutely first. And we have... We have uh, We've been driven to do that. We've tried to do that, not perfectly, but we have tried to do that. God is first. His, his kingdom is first, as Matthew six thirty three uh, says. We think about examples that we ought to pattern our lives after, and we think about Luke 1, 5, and 6, and the parents of John the Baptist. Um, before John the Baptist ever come upon this earth, Zacharias and Elizabeth were known to be righteous. They were known to be righteous before God, and that's... That's our goal. Any marriage must have that goal, a firm footing uh, in the Word of God, to please Him above uh, anything. But there's also there with that faithful sacrifice, there's not only a willingness to follow God and put Him first, but also a willingness to sacrifice. When you think about marriages in the Bible, you think about um, Aquila and Priscilla, Romans 16, 3 through 5. And how that Paul said this couple had, had put their necks uh, down. They had put their lives in jeopardy uh, for his work. Not only his work, but also for many other Christians of uh, those days. And that's what husbands and wives strive to do. Is to put themselves on the line for the Lord. So a faithful sacrifice, a willingness to follow, and a willingness, of course, to sacrifice. Another Family mentioned in 1 Corinthians 16, 15, the household of Stephanus had addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They had addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And then faithful sacrifice involves a willingness to trust the Lord. If we're going to, to build our home on God, we must trust Him. We have no choice. We, we want to do that because He is the Lord. Proverbs 16 and 3 says... Commit your work unto the Lord, and He will establish your plans. We get that reversed sometimes, and I've gotten it reversed sometimes. Sometimes we want to say, Lord, here are my plans. Please bless my plans. Well, that's not what Proverbs 16.3 is saying. It's saying, commit yourself to the Lord first, and then He will establish your plans. We don't make our plans and then pray to God and say, Lord, bless these plans I've made. We don't make our plans and say, well, is this okay with the Lord? No, the will of the Lord is to drive our lives. The will of the Lord is to drive our plans. And that's what Proverbs 16.3 says. So I want you to think just a moment. You know, if, if marriages are going to remain strong, there has to be faithful sacrifice. God is absolutely First and foremost, no question, no doubt. That's where it is. That's where it begins. That's where it ends. That's what life is all about. If marriages would have this in mind, oh, how many problems would never even arise in the first place. And oh, how many problems could be, could be uh, handled 
rather easily with the Lord in mind. The second thing I'd like for you to think with me about as we think about keeping a marriage strong and, and how that my wife has absolutely helped in this situation. Um, when you think about this, think about loving commitment. Not just faithful sacrifice, but loving commitment. Loving commitment means that you use every trait of love in your marriage. So let me just read, as you know this, these verses, but let me just read to you 1 Corinthians 13 right quick. Every trait of love. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. And so when we think about loving commitment, we're thinking about using every trait of love there is in Scripture and developing that and growing in that. You're going to need that in marriage. I guarantee you this. My wife has had to use every trait of love there is to put up with me. I can guarantee you that she has. And you wives out there, you have, you have had to dig down deep and expand your ability to love to put up with your husbands. And we husbands, thank you very much uh, for doing that. We know that is very, very uh, true. And then when you think about loving commitment, uh, you think about how that you've got to love, you've got to absolutely love what you're doing. You've got to love being married. You've got to not just love your wife and, and wives love your husbands and love your family. You've got to love the whole situation. It is God's, it is God's situation. It is his, it's His arrangement. And you just got to learn to love that. Love it. In Titus 2, 3 and 4, Wives are instructed to love their husbands, love their children. The word love there is not the agape love, which is, of course, a very powerful sense of love. Agape love is you love another person because it's the best thing for that person. Agape love is what we just read about in 1 Corinthians 13. But the word used there in in Titus 2 is the... the, uh, is the phileo. It, it is the, the warmth side, the affection side of love. You know? And husbands and wives must learn to love what they're doing for the pure joy of doing it. Learn to love it. Learn to, learn to rejoice in it. Learn, and that would bring so much warmth and kindness and laughter and all the environment that is needed in a home to learn not just love because it's your duty. It's not just a duty. Okay. Not just a duty. It's a responsibility, yes. It's not just a responsibility. It's you have to learn to love it because God has set it up this way. Okay. It's the joy of your life. Okay. And the the order here is important. Wives love your husbands, love your children. You learn to love being in that situation. Children will pick up on that. 
real fast. And then a loving commitment also means that you learn and you understand that love is primarily a decision. It's much more than a feeling. It's a decision that you make. And when you understand that love is a decision that you make, you, lo- you decide, you make up your mind, I'm going to love, I'm going to be a loving person toward everyone. I'm going to love my wife no matter what. That takes care of so many little things that never really become little things. When you love as a decision and not as a feeling, it takes care, it gives you security during your feelings, during your emotions. Emotions in life and especially in marriage bounce around the landscape. If you just had a little old bouncy ball up here and you just threw it out here in the auditorium, it would hit this pew and hit this pew and it would be bouncing everywhere like a bunch of little kids do. Well, your emotions do that too. Okay. The answer to those emotions, you know, sometimes we'll feel sad. Sometimes we'll feel close to each other. Sometimes you feel apart from each other. Sometimes you have a lot of laughter going on. Sometimes you don't have so much. It's just your emotions going here and there. Well, that's okay because you've already made up your mind. You're going to love. Like God loves you. You're going to love your wife. You're going to love everybody this way. That way that, that kind of gives you a guidance. It gives you a, uh, a real pathway through all those uh, emotions. And then also the same thing with circumstances. Circumstances in, in marriage and in life are going to change constantly. You know, Andrew was just speaking about change. Well, if you've made up your mind that you're not going to get blown off the limb... By emotions or by changing circumstances, you just continue that steadfast love as the Lord loves us, then we love our wives, we love our children, we love everybody. And then when you love as a decision, then you're able to handle the differences. It's a good thing that men and women are different. God made us male and female. In most cases, women talk Twice as much as men. If a man talks 25,000 words a day, a woman talks 50,000 words a day. That's just the difference. Okay? So a lot of times a man comes home from his day and he's already used up his quota. He's already, he's already done his 25,000 words and so he's, he's just quiet. You know? But a woman's, you know, she's just getting started. Okay? I mean, you just got to understand that. Okay? But when you have made up your mind to love, you know, People are just born differently. Some people come into this world noisy, okay, like Ashley right there. She probably came into the world noisy. Others came into this world like a tomb, like a tomb, okay. And so you just understand who you're marrying. Are you marrying someone that has come into the world noisy? Are you marrying someone who is as quiet as a tomb? And then you just, you learn to love that, okay. Loving commitment. And then a lot of you also think about this as we think about keeping a marriage uh, strong. Think about mutual encouragement. I love this passage in Romans 1 verse 12. Doesn't, Paul's not dealing directly with marriage, but you'll see it there. He says, I want to come to you at Rome. He'd been planning to come and work among, work with the Christians in Rome, work in that city. He wants to get there. He says, the reason I want to get there is so that we'll be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Notice that. 
so that we could be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. That, that, that's important for a congregation. That, that, that is a congregation's responsibility. Everybody in the congregation is to be mutually encouraging one another. Okay. But it's especially important as well with husbands and wives and families and children and families. That they're all committed to encouraging each other. Here's a danger. Here's a danger in that. And that is if one or the other begins to say or begins to expect some encouragement, expect some special treatment, okay, and then begins to feel like I'm not getting the special treatment that I'm so, I'm going to withhold my special treatment, my encouragement, because I don't feel like I'm getting it, getting the encouragement from the other side. Well, you can't ever begin to think that way. You must just simply be a loving, serving person towards your, towards your mate. And then serve, trust the Lord that you'll receive the encouragement you, that you'll need. Just let the Lord handle that. You be the person you need to be in marriage and let the Lord handle the rest of it. <clears throat> Mutually encouraged. I know one thing, as I've told you, told you guys, I outmarried myself, you know. Uh, the spiritual qualities of my life go go greatly deeper than than what has ever been in my heart. First Peter three uh, one and two mentions how that if a wife is married to an unbeliever, uh, he does not obey the word. That he may, without the word, become obedient because of the manner of life, the example of of the wife, and. I don't think I've ever been an unbeliever, but I can tell you one thing: I would, it would make me very, very, very nervous to think where I would, where what I would be, spiritually, if it had not been for my wife. I just outmarried myself in that regard. Absolutely, no doubt about it. And a lot of you husbands, husbands can say the same thing: Where would you be spiritually, if not for your wife? And so, to keep a family strong, we think about faithful sacrifice. God first. We think about loving commitment, absolutely. And we think about mutual encouragement. And then finally this morning, just for a second, think about careful attention. Careful attention. With a plant, you, you water the plant, you put that plant in sunshine, and it's going to grow. But if you put that plant in a dry, dark corner, it's going to die. And it's the same thing with marriage. You've got to water the relationship you got to keep that relationship in the sunshine, and it will grow. We read, appreciate Chris reading for us this morning in Ephesians 5. You know, and look down to that part, verses 28 and 29, where it says, Husbands ought to love their wives as, as their own bodies. Okay. He that loves his wife this, life, this way loves himself. No man ever hates his own body. Not normal people, okay? No man, no man ever hates his own flesh. But what does he do? He nourishes it and he cherishes it. Okay? It's just common sense. Okay. You water the plant, you keep the plant in sunshine, it's going to grow. And you do the same thing with your marriage relationship. It takes careful attention. And like Andrew, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about marriage. It is, it is so precious. Think about that. Andrew was 
was bouncing off of Genesis 2 this morning. Look, look what God did. You knew what was in God's mind. From the very, I mean, eternally, what is in God's mind? He wants to bring mankind to him and be able to have a relationship with mankind. God knew sin was coming into the world, sin to come into the world. What, what's the first thing he did? He created the marriage relationship and the home. Because God knows that gives the stability that the world needs in order for the gospel to be spread and to be understood as it ought to be understood. So the marriage and home is vitally important to God's overall plan to bring man to him. It really is. In just a moment we'll be observing the Lord's Supper and thinking about more about what God has done to bring man to him. The price that Christ paid on the cross and his resurrection is, of course, the, the very cornerstone of our thoughts when it comes to, uh, comes to walking with God. But we take that pattern that God has given us and he helps us to create the home and with that home, we can teach others about God and about Christ. This morning, it could be that we have someone among us that needs to, to think seriously, more seriously maybe, about what the Lord has done for us, all that he's done for us throughout all the years, his plan to save us from our sins. What a great plan it is. We have the opportunity to apply that plan to our souls this morning. Jesus simply said before he left this earth, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Can we help you with that obedience? Can we help you in any way? Please make it known right now as we stand together and as we sing.